Outdoor Adventures at the Governor's Deer Opener in Grand Rapids. A little snow on the ground, Kuduk, but uh, things are going well, and we're going to find all about Grand Rapids right now. We're talking with Megan Christensen, and you're kind of the head honcho here in Grand Rapids, the way it sounds. <laughs> well, I am the director of the Tourism Bureau, so we are, headed, we are hosting this event uh, this weekend, and we're really excited. Uh, even though it's 35 degrees and we have about four inches of snow on the ground, we are very excited to host it this year. I'm still picking up leaves, but it looks like we should have brought the snowmobiles good up. Well, you know, they got nice snow on the ground, so it should be a good deer hunt because they got a lot of good deer hunting up here. And Grand Rapids is a gorgeous town. If you ain't never been to Grand Rapids, you got to come to Grand Rapids and to see the town. It's an older town, but it's a clean town and a very nice town. And I'm guessing you probably got some snow, nice snowmobile trails around here. Oh yeah, we have 2,000 miles of snowmobile trails. So we, you can get on the Taconite Trail, which is the state trail. You can also get on the Sioux Line Trail um, by taking south to Hill City. So we have lots of spur trails. We have direct line trails that will take you east and west and north and south. So you can ride for several days on our trails. Yeah, and the Sioux Line Trail goes a long, long way because I worked for the Sioux Line for 11 years, so I've been on some of them trails. <laughs> yes, so our Sioux Line um, helps us in the in the uh, off-season, which is winter season for us, is snowmobiling, and the rest of the year is for ATVing. So yeah. we really are excited to have um, the ATV expansion trails that we've had, and all of our county roads are now open to ATV travel. Um, so that's four-wheelers, uh, side-by-sides. You can ride right on the shoulder um, to get to our wooded trails. So um, we, right now we have about 500 miles of ATV trails in our county and then uh, on top of the 2,000 miles of snowmobile trails. So I was going to ask, do you need uh, certain permits for that or yes. what type of licensing do you need for that? So both ATV um, and snowmobiles are required to have state registration, and the registration gets you on those trails. And if people want to find out what's going on in the Grand Rapids area or what's there to do, fishing, hunting, whatever, they can get a hold of you. They can get a hold of us. Um, our website is probably the best to get a hold of. We do weekly fishing reports, and now we start our trail reports. Um, so visitgrandrapids.com is our website. Um, our phone number, if people are looking to get a hold of us, is 218-326-9607. Uh, we're there Monday through Friday. Otherwise, the website is 24-7. Um, you know, for fishing, if you want to switch over to fishing, we have 1,007 lakes in Itasca County, and 90% of them have bass in them. So we are a bass area. We also have all the other fish that people are looking to catch, the northerns, the, uh, the walleyes, the muskies. We have trout here. But the crappies and panfish and, and the perch, they're great, too. Oh, you bet they are. Uh, now, I know we're up here for the deer opener, so a question is, am I going to be expecting some deer sticks, some venison from you, <laughs> or are you, are you heading out in the field? So I am not a deer hunter, but uh, we have over a million acres of public accessible land to hunt and hike ATV and snowmobile on. So this is the place, if you do not own your own hunting land, Grand Rapids is a great place to come north. Um, Itasca County has um, hunting plat maps that are on our website. You go under the hunting tab and you can um, download those. Um, we today have a sausage stick competition, so people can come in and there's well, I'm two. I'm sure Kudak will be in on that. I might have to go try it. I, when you drive through town, you know, they got Kentucky Fried Chicken, they got McDonald's, Burger King, they got... Any restaurant you want in Grand Rapids. Yep. You go down the main drag and you go, oh, boy, I think I'll have some of that. Today. Yeah, nice downtown, too. I mean, a lot of, like, specialty shops and stuff like yep. that. 
So we um, we really pride ourselves. You know, our um, our town was founded in the late 1800s, and uh, we still have a schoolhouse that is still standing from the original 1894. Um, that's the building we reside in, and we just have a lot of history here in our downtown and in our community. We're also a Mississippi River town. The Mississippi runs right through the middle of our town. So if anybody's looking to, to get on the Mississippi and do some fishing as well, that's a great access point, too. So we're wrapping things up here with Megan Christensen. Uh, she's helping out with the uh, tourism here in Grand Rapids. And once again, you want to throw your website in case somebody's coming up here, whether it's for the opener or the ATV trails, 2,000 miles of snowmobile trails, and then, you know, spring. Hopefully it'll be here before we know it. So where do people get more information? Visit GrandRapids.com. Fantastic. Megan Christensen from Grand Rapids Tourism. Check them out there, and uh, we'll have more here from the Governor's Deer Opener here on Outdoor Adventures. Continuing on here on Outdoor Adventures at Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, FM 103.5, and the iHeart Radio app. Outdoor Adventures at the Governor's Deer Opener. Talking now with Craig Engwall of the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association, a great association that started up here quite a few years ago, Craig. And uh, what, what's your main focus, uh, your main goal of the association? Yeah, well, we were founded, as you said, here in Grand Rapids in 1980. We've grown to uh, 61 chapters and 20,000 members all across the state and uh, three main things we really do are habitat, youth education with our four corn camps and we are also an advocate for deer and deer hunters um, in St. Paul and in Washington. And you guys are involved with Hides for Hides for Habitat. It's probably my favorite program because it's so. Uh, it's just one of those ultimate win-win things. So, Hides for Habitat's been around for about 32 years. Uh, in that time, we've collected 865,000 hides. We've turned that into five and a quarter million dollars for habitat. And so those are our chapters. You'll see our boxes around your town. Uh, they're all over the place. We have many, several hundred of them around the state. Orange boxes that say MDHA. It's, and it's a place where hunters can just drop off their hide. Our chapters clean them, take care of them, and we resell them to hide buyers and turn that into habitat money. So it's just it's a fabulous program. Um, for those people who take their deer to a processor and don't even think about the hide, ask for your hide back. Um, you're entitled to do that and donate it, and you'll be doing something for Habitat. And there, there is other groups out there, if I'm not mistaken, that have boxes out there that are orange too, ain't there? Yeah, and they're not, they're not for, they're, they don't do what we do. Those are for profit. Typically, those are people who want to, um, they'll give you a knife or a pair of gloves or something that's cheap, and they take that, those hides, and they sell them for their own purposes. We're a nonprofit. Um, we're turning it right into Habitat. So make sure you see that MDHA logo on the box. Um, I would say too, you can go to our website at mndeerhunters.com, and we got a, a map with all our sites. But you can even type in your address, and it'll tell you where your closest box is. Oh, that's even easier yet. Yep. You know, we try to make it as easy as we can. Because I know around, around where I'm at, there's I see there's I know, everybody's got one. I mean, the gas station right down Main Street, Malacca's got one sitting in his yep. front door. I mean, everybody's got them. And it is, I, I turn my hides in every year. We, we, we skin our deer and you know, that's where they go. Yep, know? and those are their people, that, you know, it's a box and they see it there and it's great, you drop it off, but it's it's a lot of work. Our chapters will go around and they'll collect hides. Now, this year, as I look out the window at the snow and uh, it's easier for us. Last year was really tough. You got to think about it, 70, 80 degrees. Um, hard to, you got to get those hides pretty quick. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it was nice hunting because you were in your cutoff. But, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but it was nice hunting because it was nice out, but it's tough seeing the deer because yeah. you know, we don't have any snow where I'm at. I mean, our snow is gone. You guys, I wish we had this snow. I was looking last week, and I let it, like I said, I'm north of here, and I just couldn't wait for the snow to come, and I hope that it'd be cold, and we got what we were looking for. And it sounds like you might get a little bit more. Yeah, it's here in two to four inches, so... Chatting with Craig Engwall, Executive Director of the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association. We talked habitat with the Habitat for High or Heights for Habitat. But what are you doing with the Department of Natural Resources as far as we talk a lot about public lands and they're real fortunate here in the Grand Rapids area? But uh, there are a lot of areas uh, like my hometown area, a lot of farming and stuff like that where, where there isn't a lot of public lands. Um, are you working with the DNR on that side of things as well? We do work with the DNR and we also work with people don't realize. Um, we work with uh, local county governments too, and so we'll, we'll with the DNR. Typically, we'll we'll go out and we'll get grant money, and we might acquire an ED that they want to do in addition to a WMA, a wildlife management area. So we're doing that kind of work all the time. Those are the smaller grants, but we also go after larger grants. And this last summer was exciting. We we got a 3.6 million dollar grant. Uh, from we got that through the Lassard Sam's Outdoor Heritage Council, and we took that money and we acquired potlatch lands in Cass and Hubbard County that were at risk of being they were going to be sold basically and converted into potato fields. So. Uh, that was just a tremendous project, so we acquired those lands, we uh, donated them to Cass and Hubbard County, they'll be managed as forest lands by their land departments, they'll be open to the public for hunting, and had we not done that, uh, they would have been converted, and so now you got a, another win-win where you've got uh, working forest where that, that timber will go to the markets, you got habitat for deer and other things, you got public hunting, and you got water protection because uh, that, that groundwater there is critically important. And how do people get involved with the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association? I'm sure you have a lot of things like this at the deer opener where you need you know, volunteers, uh, people knowledgeable in the industry, all that stuff. Yeah, so there are a lot of ways you can do that. Our chapters have their banquets and things, and attending a banquet is wonderful. Lots of fun. You can become a member that way. But for the, for the listener out there who wants to find out what we do, just go to our website at www.mndeerhunters.com or give me a call at 800-450-DEER. Craig Engwall, Executive Director of the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association, joining us here on Outdoor Adventures to uh, the economic impact of hunting and uh, what the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association does for our uh, outdoorsmen here in the great state of Minnesota. We'll be back with more Outdoor Adventures here on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, FM 103.5, and the iHeartRadio app. Outdoor Adventures here at the Governor's Deer Opener in Grand Rapids. And I want to remind folks, we're here every Saturday, 5 to 6 p.m. on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, FM 103.5, and anywhere you're at on the free iHeartRadio app. And we're continuing on here with uh, Jim Leach with the... Uh, what exactly is your title with the DNR? I'm the Director for Fish and Wildlife. Okay. So anything to do with fish or wildlife, deer hunting, yeah. it's under the division that I supervise. So I have the, the privilege of, of holding that position. And we're talking a little bit public lands. I know uh, the Commissioner Landwehr spoke a lot about it, and I hear 
Uh, here in Grand Rapids at the Governor's Deer Opener, they have some mo- some of the most public land in the state, and that's that's a real important thing for getting uh, not only seasoned hunters like Kuduk and yourself, but you know newer hunters as well to give them access to to give it a try. That's exactly right. When you think about it, um, some of us grew up in a hunting tradition with our families, and uh, current demographics are such that. That's not the case. I mean, there's still a lot of hunters that grew up with hunting, or young people that grew up with hunting. But some of the demographics, you know, single parents, uh, they don't have that tie. And when they want to get into it, they don't have that tie to community or private lands. So the public lands provide an asset to them that allows them to try something out at a relatively inexpensive cost. So the public lands provide an asset for, for hunting, for recreation, and some services that we take for granted, like water quality enhancement, flood control. Public lands provide all those, and uh, in the Grand Rapids area, we have a diversity of it from county uh, tax forfeit lands, we have state WMAs, state forests, and then at the federal level, we have Chippewa National Forest. So you've got a diversity of public lands here in the, in the uh, Grand Rapids area, and it's pretty special. Nice place to come for a deer opener. Beautiful place to come for a deer opener. And, and say around the cities, is there, you know, you get the north suburbs and you get down south of the cities, is there is there a lot of public land there that people can, you know, go out and archery hunt or, you know, bull hunt or, uh, you know, small game hunt, squirrel hunt, per se? We're, we're seeing more of it. We understand that that's what we have to do for the demographics of society now. We just opened a, a new one, um, Vermilion Highlands, down by Hastings. Um, there's uh, another unit that we just opened, uh, a WMA, Wildlife Management Area. But uh, then you've got Carlos Avery in the north suburbs. So there is some public land, but you can always use more. It, uh, this new unit that we just opened, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it, um, but it's down in that Hastings area. The the people, the, the adjacent neighbors were complaining there was so much use of it with squirrel hunters and rabbit hunters uh, that we had to go down and regulate it for the deer season. Tomorrow we'll have DNR employees making sure that only the parking spots that are allowable will be used by hunting for that WMA because people were parking on the road creating craft traffic jams. So. In other words, it's a good hot spot for deer, they're saying. It is. <laughs> it is. And that's what we like to see of our public lands and get the use. But when you have neighbors complaining that there's too much use, then you have to do something. Well, but that's, that's urban. That's no different than North Minneapolis, where the railroad tracks has been there for many, many millions of years. And then somebody buys a house that's been there for 100 years and complains about the train. Doesn't make any sense. When you're buying a house next to a railroad tracks, well, what are you going to do? But they do it. I mean, I worked for the railroad for many years. You know, here's these houses over there, and some lady, council person for the city of Minneapolis, or what, she's complaining because the trains are keeping her away. Why why did you buy the house there? You think about it, and... uh, when people purchase land adjacent to these wildlife areas and then build a house, they're building it because of the aesthetic value of having a public land next yes. to them. They don't think down the road that during the hunting season, that public land is going to be utilized. Yeah, and I mean, it's only what, a 
couple months out of the year that their people are in their hunt. I mean, they're, they're not going to be in there for six, seven months. It's a couple of months. More than likely, the people about the house got kids that probably want to go hunt. Probably. You know, that's like my grandkids. I mean, they're over the house. Grandpa, let's go shoot this and let's go shoot that. You know, it's, uh, you can't have enough hunting land. They ain't making any more, so I hope you guys get a ton of it. Well, the uh, Lassard Council, our legacy funding, they're really putting an emphasis on metro WMAs, and we're trying to accommodate that. We, we see the needs, we see the value, and the demographics of our society are changing such that, you know, the uh, diverse audiences that are, we're trying to encourage in the, in the hunting, the Hmong, the Latino, the black communities, they're in the metro area, so we've got to provide access to them. And where do people uh, find these lands? Because, I mean, there's millions of acres, I'm sure, and not only for hunting, too, but for state parks. But where do I go to find, you know, say I want to do some pheasant hunting or some deer hunting, where, where do I go to find that public land? Go online and Google WMAs, uh, Wildlife Management Areas, in a specific county, and all the current WMAs in that county will pop up. Excellent. That is uh, Jim Leach, Fish and Wildlife Director with the Department of Natural Resources. And we are at the Governor's Deer Opener. Plenty more to come here on Outdoor Adventures. have a few minutes now to chat with Dennis McAdance. He is with the Turn In Poachers program here in the state of Minnesota. And unfortunately, with all the great uh, activities we have here in the state of Minnesota, Dennis, there's always a few of those folks that... Uh, like to push the envelope a little bit, so uh, you're kind of the man in charge and uh, deals with a lot of those folks. Actually, um, I deal with all the stuff that makes the program work, not necessarily with the individuals. That's that partnership mm -hmm. piece with the conservation officers. They get to deal with the guys, mm -hmm. but uh, from behind the scenes, we uh, we keep that line running and uh, keep the other programs going as far as the TIP program. And people could get a hold of you at uh, Turn and Poachers? That is correct. And uh, then you... You uh, pass it on to the DNR office. Actually, here's how it works, is that um, that tip line, that toll-free number that's there, that actually goes directly to the Department of Natural Resources uh, on-duty staff during the weekdays, and then the state patrol at nights and weekends. So that tip line, that number that, that everybody is calling, it's going to the DNR staff. Behind the scenes, however, how and why tip got started back in 1981 was that the tip program actually was based on, if some of you may remember, back way back when, the Crime Stoppers programs, mm -hmm. uh, McGruff the Crime Dog. Yep. Well, this is, this is Crime Stoppers for Animals in Minnesota. And, and that program was developed based on that criteria, but it's really used um, so that we don't use state money to pay the rewards. That incentive uh, for people to call that tip line uh, and the reward fund was back the leadership back in 1979, you know, before it started, said we are not using tax dollars to, um, as an incentive to turn in your that's neighbor. That's music to our listeners' ears right there. There you go. <laughs> so all of this money that, that's used, uh, we'll talk a little bit about reward funds here in, in a second, but all that money that's uh, raised is done through donations, memberships, and uh, fundraising events. Now, have you seen an increase, a decrease? Uh, is it... Kind of stayed the same over those, what, 30 years or so that the program's been, been going? There was a significant increase when the program first started in the first 10 to 15 years of the program back in the 80s and uh, early 90s. And then since then, it's actually a very level program um, of 
anywhere from on average, let's, let's give you an example. Back in 1981, there was 428 arrests with the program. Um, in 2016, was 281. And again, you take that and there's an average all the way between there. The lowest was back in, two, uh, looks like 2000, um, 2001 with only 217 total arrests with the program. So it comes and goes. It has a high highs and lows like any other program. But um, right now, uh, we the, just this October, I got the data today, as a matter of fact, and uh, the data looks busier than we've, we've been in a while. And how much does it affect as far as funding for, say, conservation officers and stuff like that, um, as far as, you know, getting those prosecutions and all that and the arrests? Uh, you know, a fine, the fines and restitution, now, they're two different things. A fine is actually a criminal penalty. A restitution is the civil penalty. And those uh, fines and, and none of that money comes to the TIP program. It all, it all goes back to the general fund and or to the Game and Fish Fund back to the Department of Natural Resources. We see none of those dollars as a TIP program. All of our money is truly raised by membership, donations, and fundraising events. And how, how do people find out about your program? Where can they, if they want to donate or, you know, if you know, you got, they got a group that wants to get involved with you guys, where, where do they go get all that? Turninpoachers.org is our website. On that website is our, uh, our number, the 800 number that we have, 800-326-8477 is our office number. Totally different number than the, than the tip line, but um, basically if somebody did call that line, we still would turn it over as a, as a tip complaint if it truly was. So we do, every once in a while, we see somebody that calls us on our business line and, um, and we turn over that complaint. And for somebody out there that sees something, what's the process for them as far as calling it in? And, you know, I, there's probably some people that maybe are a little bit skeptical or scared about calling in. Um, what do you have to say to those folks and what to do? Well, I, I think the biggest thing that I hear, okay, I've, had, I've been in this position now for just about three years. And one of the things I hear from many, many people is that it's my neighbor doing, doing the, the, mm -hmm. the criminal activity. They know it's me if I call if they call it in, um, and, and and what I can say to that is is that this truly is an anonymous program if you want it to be. You call that number, and uh, you give that information, and you're given a number. If you if you'd like a reward, if there's if there is an actual conviction in the end of that thing, and you want and you want a reward, or, you know, as an incentive to to actually do the make that phone call, we have the ability to keep it anonymous, and you become a number and not a name. And so that works. Now, the other thing that happens is, is that many people say, well, I didn't have the, have the number. Here's the key. Like I told you, this is a partnership between the Department of Natural Resources and the Turn In Poachers Program, or the nonprofit organization TIP. That partnership also has an agreement where our phone number, that TIP hotline number, is on the back of every hunting and fishing license in the state of Minnesota. So if you actually took your fishing license out right now and you looked at the back, you'll see two lines. One's a, one's a number for the Department of Natural Resources for information. The next one down is a, is a tip logo and that's the Turn In Poachers hotline. So it's available. It's on the back of your regulation books. So availability of that number is, your access to that number is very readily available. Now comes the decision to make that, you know, you have to make the decision to make the tip complaint. 
Now, typically, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to get all the information uh, that you can. You know, what happened, where, when, who, a, a vehicle, a boat, all of those other things. Time. Time is critical in those things, too. The other important thing about time is that remember that the tip line is not an animal 911. It's not a 911 call. If you have criminal activity that is, is, is something that is enforceable and, or that should be enforced above and beyond what's, what's happening with an animal, um, you should use 911. If you choose to use the hotline, remember that it is a hotline only. And what that does is it brings the information to a central location and then that's dispensed to a conservation officer. If the conservation officer is on duty and happens to be in the area, somebody will respond as quickly as they can. But again, it's not a 911 system. Fantastic. Dennis McAdance with uh, the TIP program, Turn In Poachers, here on Outdoor Adventures. We're broadcasting from the Governor's Deer Opener here in beautiful Grand Rapids here on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, FM 1035, and anywhere in the world on the free iHeartRadio app. Outdoor Adventures here at the Governor's Deer Opener in Grand Rapids, and we're going to chat some ATVs right now, Kuduk. I know you like racing around on your old uh, classic, but uh, we have our friends uh, George Radke and Perry May. They're the president and second president, so uh, kind of got some hot shots here of ATVAM. And uh, we're going to find all about the ATVs here, not only in the Grand Rapids area, but you guys cover the entire state, and I know it's a something that's really caught on here over the past few years. So uh, what can you tell us about ATVAM and what do you guys do to promote the industry? Well, we're the All-Terrain Vehicle Association of Minnesota. Uh, we have a number of uh, clubs and associations around the state that we help to promote and support safe and responsible ATVing in the state of Minnesota. Uh, our, one of our biggest things right now is, is working with our Department of Natural Resources folks and building trails. We're really, really pushing hard on this right now today, and we're going gangbusters. We've got more new trail projects started right now today than what there's ever been in the state of Minnesota. So we're really looking at doing more than just building a couple little trails, spots where you can go and ride. We're literally building a trail system in the state of Minnesota. We've got 20,000 miles of snowmobile trails we're going to have 20,000 miles of ATV trails. We're going to ride into town. We're going to uh, uh, basically be able to do the same thing you would on a snowmobile, where you can actually go out and you hit the trails, riding through the different communities, hitting the different businesses and different things like that, bringing that back to the communities as well. Uh, tourism, for example, the Iron Range tourism folks are big time right now on board with us. They really want to see ATV trails built in their communities and, and brought in. It brings in uh, things into the economy. And not only that, we love to ride. Yeah. Okay. And Perry, too. I was gonna, This would be great up in the cities, you know, to beat that rush hour. I could just fly by everybody on my ATV. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there isn't too many trails in the cities right yeah. now. But, uh, you know, maybe someday in some of the... Uh, you know, the Eastman Nature Center, you mm -hmm. know, parks uh, around there, it could could happen someday. Well, I, you know, up by Mille Lacs, we got this old Sulite Trail that goes from there to Duluth or whatever, and I mean, every time I go up to the lake, there's, they're parked there, and there's, you know, 25, 30 trails, everybody's on the trail, I mean, and they're stopping at, you know, the establishments in town and having a good time, and they stump places, they got motels for them, and I mean, it's a, 
it's a good deal and it's it, they're fun to write. I mean, I've had one for, for years and it's a collector's item now. I don't have to buy license plates for it, I just found out. Yeah, I have a, a lake home in the Emily Outing area. And years ago, you used to see everybody trailering boats on weekends. And if you watch Minnesota Highway 6 during the weekend, you'll see everybody pulling an ATV. Oh, yeah, 169. You're, you know, four or five on a trailer with the fish out. I mean, everybody's got an ATV now. Uh, the other thing, um, the season lasts longer for an ATV. You could roughly, uh, many parts of the state open May 1st, shut down October 31st. You can use your ATV for deer hunting. You can use your ATV while you're ice fishing. So it's becoming more and more a large recreational sport. And, George, too, I'm sure, you know, it's a big family thing, too. You know, there's so many things to do here in Minnesota, but it's just another thing for, you know, to get the kids out. And the nice thing about it is with the trails, you're going through the woods and, you know, kind of on the outskirts sometimes, and you can see some things that, you know, in my area in the cities you can't see. It, it is truly a family uh, sport, recreation, and it's became a way of life for many of us. And you think about it, we live in a great state with so many neat things. ATVing is one more of those things that makes this state great. And we just started here this last year, and we're going to be doing a lot more of it, but when you talk about kids and family, we just started training, uh, doing ATV safety with kids 6 to 10. So we actually have a program that we're building to train these younger kids that are already out there riding ATVs with their parents. And we already have a program for the 11 to 15s and older, but we're building a new program and adding that into it and starting to train some of our younger kids too. We want them safe. We want them to ride. And I'm sure too that uh, people want to get involved if they want to volunteer. I'm sure you guys are always looking for that. Where do people get more information? You know, and I'm sure you probably have some stuff on, you know, people that are new to it to find out where to go and what to see. We have uh, a website. It's atvam, atvam.org. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. <clears throat> we have uh, our Region 3 and our Region 5 have got really fabulous Facebook pages. They're both AtVam, Region 3 and Region 5. Uh, we also have a newsletter that we produce uh, uh, at least twice a month that we put out. You can, If you go onto our website, you can sign up for our newsletter. And uh, tons and tons of different events, writing events, training events, uh, and other things like that you'll find out on our website and then especially on our Facebook pages. The same website will connect to club links also, yes. so if you want to go to individual clubs. Perfect. George Radke and Perry May of AtVam here in Minnesota getting us out on the ATVs and the trails, and uh, uh, it's progressing as we speak, and uh, I enjoy the things you guys do for the state of Minnesota, and we'll have plenty more here from the Governor's Deer Opener here in Grand Rapids. He's Chris Kudak. I'm Stan Poggle here on Outdoor Adventures, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Continuing on here with Outdoor Adventures at the Governor's Deer Opener in Grand Rapids, and we're talking with Lou Cornicelli right now, and uh, he's kind of the head honcho when it comes to uh, the, I guess, more recent discoveries of chronic waste, wasting disease here in the deer population in the state of Minnesota, and not only here in the state, but uh, trying to keep it from uh, the border states as well. Um, Lou, uh, let's start off. Uh, what do you do, and how long have you been doing this? Oh, yeah, I, so I 
I've been in Minnesota about 15 years. Halloween 2002 was my anniversary. So I came here as the big game program leader, and now I supervise our wildlife research unit. And part of that is the uh, wildlife health program and all the disease work that they do. And I know we have a couple zones, special zones, where it sounds like they're taking the lymph nodes Correct. out and yeah. testing those. What's the responsibility of the hunter when they bag a deer? Yeah, so what we're doing, you can find all the informa information on mndnr.gov slash cwd and we're asking hunters uh, over the opening weekend of the, deer, of the deer season in our surveillance areas that when you kill a deer uh, get it registered you can do that on the phone uh, on the internet or at a regular registration station and then you have to take it over, again over opening weekend only you have to take it to one of our sampling locations that we've got identified and again find those on the DNR website uh, get the deer ready you know put the head in the back of the tailgate um, uh, have your information you know where'd you kill it you get let us you need to look at your license to get your contact info we'll take a, a lymph node sample basically two glands out of the neck it takes about a minute or so to do uh, and then we'll send you on your way and and so the process should be fairly smooth we've been doing this a long time uh, we've not done mandatory surveillance before uh, um, in this broad of an area so that's kind of that's going to be a little bit of a learning curve but it generally should go okay it, it, it tends to you know, I'm more concerned about the weather than I am about getting our samples and how is this uh trying to catch this kind of on the front end i know with the lakes we have a couple of other issues and, and that's the main thing getting it before it gets to that point where it's irreversible yeah correct and that's the, you know that's the standard disease response whether it's with humans or with wildlife so it, you want to be able to find a disease early in, the, in its infective infection stage and then you can do something about it but if it sits there on the landscape for a long time before it's found um, or you choose not to do anything about it then you have a situation situation like Wisconsin where you've got a disease that's now well established on the landscape it's going to have population level impacts on, on deer on deer numbers so our goal and whether it was bovine tuberculosis in the north in northwest Minnesota or CWD now is to if it's if it's here we want to find it and, and deal with it and how many uh, cases in the last couple of years have you guys found have you is it staying high or is it low or it, it's low um it was found in 2010 around pine island north of rochester in one deer uh, associated with a with a game a domestic game farm a farmed elk uh, pop uh, group, uh service facility uh, and we did a lot of testing some uh, a lot of deer removals and we never found it again so last fall we went back to the southeast to do more surveillance because of Iowa has the disease and Wisconsin has the disease so we decided to test the southeast and we found it in Fillmore County near Preston so so far we found 11 positive deer they've all been in the same general area so our hope is that we did find it early so we're doing lots and lots of work down there. so there's have you found anything in the north North, you know, northern part of the state, or is it kind of all down in yeah. the south part Not, of the state? So far in the south, southern part of the state. So we're doing surveillance in around uh, uh, Merrifield, Crowing, Crowing County, and then again in Meeker County, because the two two game farms were found positive with the disease, and those game farms were linked. Um, they had shared deer, so those two events are, are directly related. So we do surveillance around those facilities to make sure the disease isn't also found in wild deer. And uh, what? causes this disease. Do you guys get 
a good handle on what what it, what it's from and how they get it. It's yeah, we we know how they, it's transmitted. It's direct contact, so animal to animal contact. Um, it's it's an interesting disease, and the one thing that makes it really difficult it's something called a prion, which is a misfolded protein. It's not a virus or a bacteria or a fungus. So it's a disease that that. Um, there's different uh, analogous diseases in humans and um, in cattle and in sheep, but this one is, is specific to cervids or deer or deer and elk, and it's basically transmitted with, by direct contact of infected animals to uninfected animals, and the fact that it can be really persistent on the landscape, you can't really kill it because it's not alive, um, makes it really kind of... Um, alarming to those of us who deal in wildlife health issues because we just can't you can't just disinfect you know your your equipment or, or cook your meat and, and the prion is gone so it it kind of gives a, a new set of, of uh, uh, stuff associated with it. so say if, say if I went out and shot a deer and it had this if I ate that deer meat, would it, would it have an effect on me? Uh, we don't think so. You know, the, the research at this point has shown no. There's some research coming that, that may indicate otherwise. But we always recommend that, you know, if a deer is sick, don't eat it. It doesn't really matter if it's chronic wasting disease or bovine tuberculosis or anything else. If it's sick, just, you know, don't eat it. That's great. Lou Cornicelli, Wildlife Research Program Manager for the Department of Natural Resources here, uh, helping us understand and uh, help prevent chronic wasting disease in our deer populations here. And we'll have more here from the Governor's Deer Opener. I want to remind you, we're here every Saturday, 5 to 6 p.m. on Twin Cities News Talk. You can also find us on Facebook to search Outdoor Adventures there, as well as the free iHeartRadio app. We'll be back with more here on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, FM 103.5, and the iHeartRadio app. This is Outdoor Adventures. Outdoor Adventures here live at the Governor's Deer Opener in Grand Rapids here on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, FM 103.5, and anywhere on the iHeartRadio app. And Kudak, we've talked to our buddy Coldfront a lot in the past about the mentored deer hunts, and we have proof with Teresa Head right here that it actually works. Well, I'll tell you what, when I see her walking through the lobby with this monster, and I went, yep, she got her date for tonight. <laughs> this thing is a monster. I mean... I bet you when you went home and you told your husband that you shot a deer, I bet he just about tipped over. Oh, no one believed me. <laughs> I yeah. called on the way home and no one believed me. Did you me. believe yourself? Not really. Yeah. I think I was in shock. Yeah. <laughs> Who did you have help when you dragged that out of the woods and um, got it, it out? It took six of us. <laughs> what did it weigh? Uh, 235, field dressed, yeah. I'm, look, I'm looking at this deer and sitting on a table over there, and I'll tell you what, most guys would be drooling over that. <laughs> that is a monster buck. <laughs> yep. And I have to say, we did not gut it because we wanted to do a demonstration for the ladies. So we had to drag it out without gutting it, too. Oh, wow. It, nobody would give you a four-wheeler or a side-by-side -side or go give you any... <laughs> oh, they must have really didn't like you. When they, they didn't teach that you that in the mentoring program. That was the, the worst part. Out, right? <laughs> now, now, give us a story how you shot that deer. We want to hear from... When you got out of the truck with your orange on, until you, you got in the deer stand until you shot the deer come back. Okay, so my mentor was Naomi, who was a wonderful person, and we um, went out early in the morning and um, sat there for a very long time, and about five hours in, I thought, well, hunting really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I was cold, you can't move, you can't talk, um, but one of the things that was really incredible that 
I never realized was that how much of nature you recognize when you don't move. I've yep. always been in the woods. I've always been hiking. But I've never actually sat outside for five or six hours and not moved. So that was pretty incredible. And then right before um, kind of sundown, Naomi, my mentor, actually saw the buck. And so we had to rotate in the blind <laughs> while this buck was kind of still coming towards us. And so we rotated, apparently, without making too much noise. Um, but I didn't know you were supposed to have your scope all the way out. <laughs> so I couldn't find, couldn't find him in the scope. So I was panicking a little bit, but um, he made it pretty easy. He just kept coming towards me. And then eventually I found him in the scope, and he um, went down to eat and kind of came back up and turned perfectly, and I, I went for it. And so your mentor was another lady. So you two sat in the blind for most of the day. All day, yep. Did you have hot chocolate and sandwiches? <laughs> okay, so we did go back to camp to eat lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I get up to go hunting, it's 4.30 in the woods. And I don't get out of the woods until I go up when it's dark and I come out when it's dark. But your one thing is right, though. When you're sitting in the woods, you see animals, you see birds. I mean, it's peaceful. People don't, don't think, I said, you don't take your phone with you. I mean, you don't take your cell phone with you, but some kids take their computer game. But, I mean, you got grouse and you got turkeys and you got pheasants and you got, you know, squirrels and chipmunks. People don't see that. I mean, it's so nice and peaceful in the woods that people don't understand it until you actually go out and do it. And I bet you'll be going out doing it again, won't you? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, there's a, like two mice that were playing literally like a foot away from me, and it was incredible. Then you did really scream with the mice, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what, now, what did you shoot that with? Did you shoot it with a 30 at 6, 30 30, or 7 millimeter? A Browning 30 at 6. And it looks like you did a very good job. I was very happy with that. That was my biggest fear never hunting and never having handled a gun before, I did not want to wound an animal. So I was very scared about that. Who got to gut it? Um, we had help. <laughs> I got to hold the legs, though. <laughs> yeah. That's what you girls get, you know. You just look at the guy and say, hey, come over here. Give me a hand. My, my son is 33 years old, and I can guarantee you, I've got it all the deer. <laughs> he says, Dad, come over here. Now, how spoiled do you feel uh, knowing after you shot it how incredible a bucket is and maybe how tough it's going to be if ever to yeah. get something like that again yeah no it, i mean everyone told me i should just retire no yeah. <laughs> retire while you're on top yeah. well i'll tell you what the country that you're hunting over where you're by duluth there is some big deer in that country is there? there is some big deer in that country because i used to hunt up in two harbors and i've mm. seen some awful big deer in that country oh neat no. yeah i'd like to i would love to learn how to bow hunt eventually so we can yep. do it on our own land and but i Obviously, I'm, I don't know a lot. I'm not from a hunting family. I've not been around hunting. and I mean, now I have a greater appreciation over the past year. Well, how is that mentor program for those that maybe, uh, like myself, I haven't really deer hunted either. So um, for somebody that maybe wants to try it out, what's the process? How was your experience with that? Yeah, it was great. I um, heard about it, went online. I called them, signed up, and it's very cost affordable, which was helpful for me. I have three kids and... Um, I was able to kind of still do that. And I think it's really nice. I did the all-women's hunt, but there's also co-ed ones. The co-ed one was full, so I did the all-women's, which turned out perfect because I feel like it's a really welcoming environment um, where you can ask really stupid questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, well, I grew up in Florida. There's no, we didn't hunt. And sure. so everything was so brand new to me, and I felt like that um, program allowed me the opportunity to kind of feel comfortable. Well, you get your... your 
neck of the woods over where you're at, and you know, a lot of women are hunting now. A lot of women are fishing now. I mean, you get in that niche and you you, know, you get a club together and everybody goes and hunts. I mean, that's what it's about. Yeah. Have you thought yeah. about starting a girls' deer camp now that you got this oh, and you can brag so to your friends? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great <laughs> get idea. Get started. Yeah. Yeah, Brookie, what do you think? <laughs> Brookie, she's just sitting here nice and quiet. She's just walking around looking at everything that's going on, she says. Now, you said you might get your husband involved in this, too, since he has he hunted before? Or? Well, we actually were in Alaska for 13 years, and there's actually not whitetail up there. So he wasn't able to kind of hunt during the years of hunting, I guess. So now that we're in Minnesota, he definitely wants to start. Um, he has more experience than I do, but I don't think he's ever actually... Kind of went out and he hasn't gotten a 17 pointer let's put it that way <laughs> yeah not, not many people have i'm guessing so uh well thank you for uh sharing your experience Teresa had uh she has been in the mentor program here in the state of minnesota you can get a hold of our buddy cold front curry and he'll get you involved and uh just a good example kuduk of uh well one beginner's luck um and two you know you don't have to be an expert. You can go out, have fun. You can learn it from somebody that does, and that's what's great about the mentoring program here well, in the state. You know, deer hunting and everything else, if you put your time in and you go out and do it, you got a chance of shooting something like that. I mean, that's what it's called. It's hunting. Fishing is fishing. I mean, if, you know, look what you shot. 17 pointer. The thing's a gorgeous trophy buck. I mean, there's the guys that hunt all their life that never see one like that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, good things to be had. Check it out on the DNR website, and you can get involved in your own uh, mentoring program and uh, maybe get as lucky as Teresa here. So uh, join us. We'll have more here from the Governor's Deer Opener here on Outdoor Adventures on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, FM 103.5, and the iHeartRadio app.